Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of the Zenial Dome's Little Dome with me, Essel Sears. And me, Gareth Gwynn. Oh no, I have to say it right this time. Let's let's do that again. So it's <laughs> it's a year no, it's It's this so month we, 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 in Zenial this history. This month in Zenial history. Let me let me actually write that down. <laughs> And welcome to the Zenial Dome's Little Dome with me, Essel Sears. And me, Gareth Gwynn. And we are looking at this month in Zenial history. Now, each week we take it in turns to present yes. a month in Zenial history. So it's your turn and you've picked? I have picked August 2005. Great. Uh, do you remember what you were doing in August 2005? It was pre-recession. What I've realised in doing um, this podcast is that the recession is like... You know, um, before Christ and after Christ. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My whole view of history now, of, of my life and my the history of my life, is based on pre-recession, 2008 obviously, pre-2008 recession and post. Yeah. Um, so these are the before times. These are the, the before, the heady times. I was working in travel and tourism PR. Mm. Um, taking journalists on press trips, everything was great because I had an unlimited Amex card, so we would just go out and. I mean, you really were like right at the epicenter of the problem, I weren't was! you? Like I this... know. <laughs> <laughs> this is really is the cause of it all. Um... I know, and I just I don't know if this is the time to talk about the the year I expensed three blowjobs. I don't I don't know if that's as in the cocktail. Yes, well done. <laughs> Got to clear that up. <laughs> and I and I won an award for it as well. For what? 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 For expenses? Yeah, at the Christmas party um, at the end of the year. Um, obviously, at the end of the year, that's when Christmas is. <laughs> um, they would do like awards for people in the company, but there, was, there were like hundreds of people in this PR company. And you won the award for profligate spending. what was it it was something like most bizarre expense this really does sound like the scene you put at the start of a drama about (laughs) a financial crisis that's about to happen (laughs) like when they're giving out awards for expense from for ludicrous expenses like gareth i cannot tell you how much at the epicenter of everything that went wrong I was because I was actually working at a it was a it was a financial PR company um so like the the big money clients were financial companies um I mean I helped launch a Russian bank once (laughs) so (laughs) oh you're (laughs) at the epicenter of two problems saw it coming none of us saw it coming um i wasn't really working on the account but they needed bodies on the night of the launch right and so in true naughty style me and my colleague julia who were both you know in our mid-20s blonde we had the job of greeting people (laughs) i mean i had a title i had i was actually you know i was 
earning a proper wage as a PR person, but I was there as a hostess. And what did that entail? Just like, hello, welcome to... Welcome people in, yeah. um, showing them where the drinks were. Um, it was very exclusive. It was mainly Russian people there. Um, I don't know who any of them were. Yeah. Uh, this It was in this really exclusive um, venue on the South Bank, but I can't remember the name of it. And all it had in there was um, a vodka bar, a caviar bar, <laughs> and a stage where suddenly, who appeared to entertain us all but Sophie Alice Baxter. <laughs> oh! Yes! Which in 2005, she'd have been really in her pomp as well. Yeah, it was great. So there was maybe like 50 of us in there. So it was it was like being in someone's living room and she was singing <laughs> to us. <laughs> Everyone was obviously really drunk because everyone was just drinking neat vodka. Sophie Alaspex's husband, who was also in a band. Yeah, I can't remember is he his name feeling? now. Yes, he was there just at the back of the room. And I kept having to pull Julia away from him because she kept <laughs> flirting with him. <laughs> but it was just the most bizarre night. And I think, and looking back, like at the time, it's just part of your job. You weren't really thinking much about it. You know, we were in our 20s. We were having fun. We knew we were going to, you know, get free drinks and stuff at this event. We didn't really think about the implications of maybe having Russian banks infiltrate. (laughs) 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 But now looking back, it's like, God, that was mad. Yeah, We facilitated that. I just worked in the Edinburgh Fringe Festival for a month. (laughs) worked on the box office <laughs> no one's coming to get you gareth no, no one. <laughs> oh ab- my apart God. from people who are late getting into homage to lily you just can't you just can't go in late <laughs> do you remember the name gate gourmet no not at all oh okay maybe it's because I was working in travel at the time. And that's why I'm thinking, I, I, I saw the name and I thought, oh my God, that's when all this happened. So Gate Gourmet um, produced meals for airlines. Okay. In August 2005, this dispute started. Um, British Airways had outsourced its airline meal production, primarily by Asian women workers, to Gate Gourmet, who cut wages and conditions. Uh, they brought in hundreds of agency workers to do the work. Seeing agency workers in their usual posts, the workers assembled in their canteens to discuss and protest what was happening. And then Gate Gourmet then sacked over 700 of the workers. So then the BA baggage handlers walked out in sympathy. Oh, okay. No, I, I remember none of this. Yeah, and it basically it shut Heathrow Airport completely for 48 hours. Oh, that's incredible. It, it was mad. And I've only just thought now, I wonder if Gate Gourmet, the name, is that something to do with, you know, the gates? Must at... be. Yes, yes, it must be. I'll be honest, when, when you first said Gate Gourmet, I thought, is this like the name of a singer I meant to know <laughs> or something like that? I, I think you're this... too cool to have yeah, heard I, of. I thought that this was, this was going to be a person, Gate Gourmet. I didn't realise it was... Uh, that's that's fast. So, did it end up with everyone getting their jobs back and carrying on? They they did eventually reach a settlement, but it did take months for all like the catering to be um, 
to be restored on on BA flights. So was there a period months. where you just on your flights you just didn't get food? Oh yeah, yeah. Do you, do you enjoy in flight meals? Uh, I've had them in the past. Don't they, is, don't they have to do something with them? Like, isn't there a thing where your taste buds go weird when you're in the air? So oh. they have to like really make the food taste. Is it very strong? So that yes. you taste anything while you're in the so, air. So one of the clients I had at, at this time was Delta Airlines. Yeah. And I worked a lot with them on stuff like this because they liked talking about their food range. Yeah. Um, and they liked talking about the wine pairings that they had in <laughs> business class. Right. Okay. I, mean, I have never travelled business class. So I've never been in a situation where I have to have a wine pairing. The, the closest pairing has been, do you want Diet Coke or regular Coke? <laughs> With whatever it is you're having, my my main memory is like there's always like some sort of piece of processed cheese in a in flight meal. Is I think my main thought about. <sighs> At yeah. one point, I was on first name terms with Delta Airlines sommelier. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea that role existed. Yeah. So do they? And presumably, when they do their wine tastings, they've got to do them in the sky to make sure that. Yes. So when you're at that height, like you said, it does affect your taste buds. So with the wine pairings and stuff, when, when you're choosing wines, they have to choose quite full-bodied ones for you to be able to taste it. The question I'm going to shortcut straight to, are there a set of wines that taste rank on the ground that oh. if you have in the sky are fine? And is there an element of, oh, this is horrible. Let's let's give it to the people who've got <laughs> Because that's quite a clever yeah, little thing. That's really interesting. I can't remember that, but I can remember the wine that works really well at altitude, and it's a Cabernet Merlot. And so, <laughs> and have you ever tried that on the ground? <laughs> I have. Oh, it's delicious on the ground as well. But but maybe it's too strong for some people. Maybe it's too full bodied on the ground. But so I like it e- either way, up in the air or on the ground. I just quite like the idea that in, you know, like people go like, "Oh, I will use that for cooking." <laughs> like, there's also the other option is, "Yeah, I will put it in a hip flask and drink it in the sky." <laughs> Do you know what? It's really, it's really weird to talk about this stuff. I've, I haven't thought about this stuff for such a long time, and it feels like. A completely different life. Yeah, I bet. Now. The time and you also- worried about what wine you were drinking in this guy. <laughs> <laughs> once, once again, you you really were in the target for, for the financial God. crisis. But but often these, I mean, the, the last, I think I've had like a cheese roll or something on a flight. Like that, <laughs> that's the extent. That's the last. Try remember. Okay. Even when I've, even the occasions I've travelled quite a, quite a long way. I um, even then I feel I feel like cheese roll is the go-to. But that's the thing. I think maybe my experience of it of of flying is is probably not the same as just the the average person on the street. So because... were you going business class and first class things like that? Yes. Were you? Is it? I... And is it like? Like I said, I've never I've never travelled business class. So when you then you know post recession and you have to travel. Like oh, it's the worst. Person. Yeah, it's the worst. Oh well, I mean, I mean, this is this has been fascinating because you know it's been interesting to find out about the sommelier on the flight. It's also been interesting to talk to you. It feels like I've interviewed a sort of disposed member of a royal family. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up. 
was 2005. Um, it's when Momo Lum died. Oh, yes. Oh, that does ring a bell. So, so for anyone who isn't aware, so Momo Lum and Robin Cook were both in the cabinet, weren't they? They were yeah. in the Labour cabinet at the time. And Robin Cook died 13 days before Momo Lum. Um, that's because I, I remember Robin Cook died when I was in Edinburgh. I remember I was convinced Momolum had died like a year or two afterwards. Oh, that's amazing that, right. that, that, that those two things happened in quick succession. I had no I know, idea with, within of that. a fortnight yeah. of each other. She'd been ill though, hadn't she? Yes. Yeah, so she had a brain tumor. Yeah. Um, and I was I was reading some stuff around it just to kind of refresh my memory because because again for anyone who wasn't aware, like Momolum was massive at the time in terms of politics because she didn't she oversee like the negotiations for the good friday agreement she was if i if i remember correctly she was the northern ireland secretary in she the was, first yeah. new labor government which was the one where the good friday agreement was thrashed out so there was a period in i would say like 98 99 where she was one of the most famous politicians in untouchably famous yeah because i think she she came across as like this kind of this kind of no nonsense person but not in a not in a really awfully aggressive way just in a like a kind of person you could just have a chat with no and... she came across as quite funny as well like in interviews yes. and things like that she did seem quite a funny person well because yeah. there was this one thing so she was she was obviously going through treatment for for the tumor five months before the 1997 general election um she was diagnosed with a brain tumor she was, so she'd been living with it for quite a long time um which she had tried to keep private until the tabloid press started to print jibes about her appearance sounds unlike them for the time awful people although she claimed to have made a full recovery the various treatments caused her to lose most of her hair Mm. she often wore a wig Mm. which she would sometimes casually remove in public stating that it was such a bother (laughs) (laughs) and yeah and i think that kind of sums her up a music one for a while we haven't done uh, who was number one do you want to have a guess who was number one for three weeks in august um, i think this would have been the era of the sugar babes would have been working pretty hard around this time Um, (laughs) no i'm gonna i'm gonna struggle a bit okay well for for three weeks, well, for, actually for four weeks, so July, two weeks in July and two weeks in August, um, the number one was You're Beautiful by James Blunt. Oh, of course it was. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's, was. he's the person that everyone likes to hate. Yeah, he reason. is, and he's really lent into it. <laughs> he, <laughs> is. he is great on, well, he was great on Twitter. I haven't checked in on him for a while, but he he's really owned that, you know, how people really despise him and he's lent into it i was still doing student radio when he was on the rise oh okay and i remember you know the press campaign around him where he was in the army and there was all this sort of stuff and he was this like singer-songwriter who'd been in the army and all these things and then and then the sort of rapid rise to where this song became absolutely inescapable yeah in, in a way that i think even he was getting a bit sick of yeah. Um 
Yeah, it was everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. I think it's one of the songs that's played most at weddings. I think it's it's one of the, yeah. the popular songs. But what's really interesting because I was I was trying to find out some details about the song, and he said it's about me stalking someone else's girlfriend on the underground while I'm high. <laughs> <laughs> And then he goes on to say, but people play it at their weddings, which is nice. Uh, is, is that really what it's about? Or has he just, has he decided to concoct a more interesting backstory? Well, because I the remember... The more famous it gets. Yeah, yeah. I remember him saying that it, it wasn't as nice or, or, or as a romantic song as people thought it was. So I have heard him allude to that. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's the that's the case. Yeah, um... I'm now going to go and look at the lyrics of that and and just try and see them through that lens because I feel like that's a song that I have heard. I mean, you've got to remember, I worked in local radio for quite a long time. You did! I've heard that record a couple of times. <laughs> and, and I don't know if I've ever fully taken in... No, because... The, the okay, lyrics. so I've got, I've got the lyrics here and it does say... He does refer to her as being on the subway. So she smiled at me on the subway. Yeah, I just assumed that was just like... Oh, okay. But then I... he's, but he also says she was with another man. Ah, he does. He does. Um, and then there's yeah. a whole bit where he's going through her bins. <laughs> <laughs> Hacked her ring doorbell. <laughs> you know how they reprimanded... Um, Diane Abbott for drinking a yes, gin and yeah, tonic like gin from a tonic. tin on the yeah, tube. Yeah, is that James Blunt just going around on the circle line, just high? Is he just, <laughs> just ogling other people's girlfriends? I don't know. I, I I thought you could say that 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 the, the song is just him describing what he sees on the subway, like <laughs> on the Island of Underground. Just yeah. Diane Abbott, <laughs> a uh, an an advert for pills for women. <laughs> There's always an advert for pills for yeah. women. And the, what's funny is is that then next to it, there's often an advert for pills for men where clearly they've put the two <laughs> next to each other. Um, a bed that comes in a box. That's a, um, I would love to know what the um, what the return is on those adverts. Like, how much business do those adverts generate? I've always thought that they probably do quite well because you're sitting in front of it for so long. Because tube adverts are the only ones where there's often quite a lot of writing on them. Because yes. they know that you're just sat there. So sometimes a, ch- a tube advert will be, it'll be like the ch- a sort of chapter of a book. <laughs> almost yeah. with a description of, hi, you're here, we're here, let's go. These tablets contain... <laughs> Maybe that would have made a better song. Certainly a lot more, a lot more suitable than the one he went for. <laughs> um, oh, so yeah, so that was uh, August 2005. Yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, you can on the Zenial Dome at hotmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. Bye. Hello. Before we go, a very quick announcement, if announcement isn't too strong a word. Tickets are now available for the Zenial Dome's Little Dome at the Aberystwyth Comedy Festival on October the 1st at 8.30pm. We are ambitiously planning to record two episodes in our slot, covering October 1997 and October 2011. Tickets are available at abbacomedyfest.co.uk. Hopefully we'll see you there. Thanks very much for listening. Bye-bye.